Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. We're back. And if your weekend was anything like mine, I am dragging this morning. Like, absolutely wrecked. I don't know what it is about two beers and being over 33 with four kids. That makes me feel like I need to detox. I need to go hit the gym. I need to do a 36-hour fast just in order to be ready for, like, Wednesday. Uh, I'm crushed right now, but I'm here with you guys. This is the energy that we all needed. Uh, for all of you guys out there, wish I had the Michael Jordan meme ready. Uh, for all of you, you fans out there who have been waiting your entire lives to win a Super Bowl and Taylor Swift won one in three months, um, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, uh, but I feel for you. I do. I really do. Um, Tomer, Jacob, Terrence, what's up? I'm shocked, but I'm in better, much better shape than you. I, although I avoided having two beers. That might have been my secret. I've only got two kids, but two dogs as well. So I, I'm not sure which is easier or harder. Just don't skip those push-ups, Dante. You got to got to keep the momentum going. 100, 100 a day to, to 100K. Come on. At least until time. the halving. Now, I have to admit, I skipped my push-ups on Saturday. It was my day of rest. I had overdone it. Uh, but I am I am doing these push-ups. And as I think I mentioned on last week's show, I thought I was doing 100 push-ups until my wife watched me do them like Wednesday of last week. And she laughed. I mean, she said, those aren't real push-ups. You're not going far down enough. And so <laughs> I learned a thing or two. <laughs> what I thought was a, what I thought I could do turned out was a lot harder to do. But I am up to fifty on my first rep, proper ones, and uh, and then like on forty or so on my second rep, and then I just gotta wait a bit for the strength to come back to do the final ten. Well, just wait for the difficulty adjustment, Tomer. You think they're tough now? I did have one of my dogs jump on my back when I was doing these ones or trying to lick my face at the same time. So that is that adds an element of difficulty, but it's nowhere near uh, the challenge. We need a stat chain. About to face. We, we, need a long, we need a long time chain of work that's just stitched together. We need a stat chain for these push-ups. Uh, so we just keep adding them up. We just keep stacking them together. Uh, we can't let this. We can't let this proof of work go to waste. Uh, we need to solve for some blocks. That now, I like. I really like the idea. It is. It is ultimately not proof of work, but an honor system. 
uh, if we're going to do this on Twitter, unless we're each going to videotape ourselves. But that's not that's not happening. Um, but I think it, it it's definitely fun to do the hundred push-ups, and I'm I'm definitely feeling a change. I, I've been doing this only for like a week and a half, maybe two weeks, and it's remarkable how quickly the body adapts, or n- not just even adapts, changes. Like mass is accumulating, good the good kind of mass. Well, let's get into the to the Super Bowl. Um, I know I'm I'm like squarely in the middle of being uh, in the millennial camp. And in the first 15 minutes, we had two Dan Marino commercials. And I was like, oh, God, we had a Christopher Walken commercial. I was like, oh, no, the boomers are still, they're still in charge. And then, like, slowly, like, the entire Super Bowl just shifted Gen X, Gen Z, millennials. And I loved it. Like, Everybody was sliding in their socks in the living room. If, if, you, if you don't know, you don't know. But I was like, I was singing Usher, like sliding on the floor in my socks. Alicia Keys came out. My daughter didn't know who it was, but I started singing at the top. But she was like, I don't know what you're doing right now. But that was how I felt. Like, I was really glad. Although the commercials were, were, were kind of garbage this year. Overall, you had Al Booty. You know, you had the Dunkin' Donuts. You had a couple. I mean, it was a couple, but it was really um, unremarkable in a lot of ways. But I just I love that the general flow was that the boomers are out, which is generally like I love this theme for a lot of different reasons. Um, You know, from our political class, from our economic class, from our policy class, there's a lot of things there that like you can start to sense the shift in tide and sentiment and investment decisions and, and how people show up. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed any of those themes or uh, what, what, what were some of the current themes or, or kind of larger macro themes that you all noticed in the Super Well, I think the, the lack of um, any ETF or crypto commercials was interesting. On, on one hand, it's not really surprising, especially since so many of the centralized finance scams got wiped out and they probably learned their lesson because I don't think the Super Bowl as a as an organization necessarily, you know, was censoring or saying we can't have a certain type of commercial. But I do think a lot of Bitcoiners thought maybe one of larger ETFs would be um, pushing forward a, a commercial. I'm, I certainly thought that. Well, the, the 49K gang lost, but... Um... Bitcoin just crossed forty nine k, so let's hear it for the the new forty ers Love that. I, as a, speaking as a boomer, I who was able to enjoy the halftime show, uh, but but remembers all the music that I remembered from that as coming a little after my time. It's nice to see the guard finally changing, but it's a slow change, right? It's now. It's now uh, the Gen Xers getting the stage. It's still not the millennials. So, you know, and I think Bitcoin's ultimately going to be the currency of whatever generation comes after the millennials. I think they'll be the ones who kind of are didn't just grow up with this currency, uh, but will have will have lived their entire lives with it being somewhere in the background. Again, the the analogy uh, the analogy to the internet is is quite amazing. There there was a couple of books um, 
the author's name is slipping me, but he he called it the two books "Growing Up Digital" and "Grown Up Digital," which was about the first generations who grew up on the internet. A lot of really interesting insights, if we want to go into it about about that. But you know, I come from a generation where I lived my childhood without computers. Uh, the first time I saw a computer, I was in my early teens, I think, or just maybe twelve year old or something. And the internet itself didn't come around until. I was doing my graduate degree in terms of being doable. The internet was there, but the World Wide Web and browsers. And so it was this novelty that I had to learn and adapt to and watch grow. But for, you know, kids, kids are born today and handed an iPhone or an iPad before they're, before they learn how to use the bathroom. And, uh, and it's just a different life, a different world that they grow up in. And so I think this generation that will grow up in a world of digital hard money is going to have, they're just not going to carry all these presuppositions that we're trying to unlearn um, about what money is and how to use it and all that kind of stuff. And they'll have the tools at their disposal that just keep getting better. So sorry to switch from Super Bowl to talking about Bitcoin. I apologize. We can return, now return to the regular no, schedule. No, 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 that's, that's what this is about. It's like, how, how do these things, uh, you know, how do these things connect, right? And I think there's, I mean, what you're talking about, I think is really critical, really important. I mean, like, you know, Joe Biden, it's crazy. Uh, like, we're bringing in a lot of real just context, but that's what this show is about. Like, my kids have started having Cinnamon Toast Crunch for like the first time. They're like six and seven, which is crazy because I feel like I used to eat like three bowls of Cinnamon Toast Crunch a day. Like a healthy breakfast with a cup of orange juice. Uh, a toaster strudel and like a banana and I would be off at school like no protein no real food no anything like general meals I used to bring in the little tops from the boxes and you would get credits like you would get like 10 cents for sending those back or you would you would actually get credits at school for bringing general meals box tops into the school and you got Joe Biden on there talking about bro I'm mad like I'm mad like we all know it's the truth that your Oreos you know you got a pack of Oreos next to them um, you know, with some, some ice cream, some Myers ice cream. And he's like, man, I'm pissed off that this Cool Ranch Doritos bag has like eight chips in it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty upset that, you know, my, my uh, mega stuff is now the normal stuff. Um, and, you know, he's getting on about shrinkflation and every millennial, you know, the, the changing of the guard perspective is like, bro, you up here promoting snacks that we shouldn't be eating in the first place. Um, and, and that's what I think, like the changing of the guard, viewing these things from a different perspective and, you know, me as a, in the middle of that generation, Tomer, like, I appreciate those comments because I grew up with a lot of that food, but then I'm looking over at my kids and they don't even know what some of that stuff is, the snacks that he's talking about. And it's not because we're organic and we're super, you know, we, we, we buy everything from the land and we do everything else. It's just that they didn't grow up. They haven't grown up with that food and those snacks. And so it's interesting to see how that psyche, how that perspective will play into money, uh, will play into how we think about different things and broader things. Don Bay, appreciate you jumping up, man. Um, uh, how are you feeling this morning? I'm just waiting for y'all to stop talking about the Super Bowl yesterday. I got a lot of PTSD, a lot of pain. Niners had that one, man. But, um, 
you got to finish in the red zone. You can't leave it's it up. The conversion. And you, yeah, you definitely can't give Mahomes the rock um, with time on the clock for the win. That's like you might as well just just call it at that point. Yeah, I think we all kind of felt the same thing. It's like if you if you're betting on the defense um, to make a stop, like you you should bet you should bet on yourself getting four yards. And even if you don't get four yards, you still got to stop the Chiefs from going sixty yards and getting a field goal. Uh, yeah, you felt like that was the wrong decision in the moment. I feel like everybody in the world watching was like, "Like, no, bro, y'all got to go for this fourth and four. Yeah, um, I just, I just don't know how Soros gets the lasers so accurately that he can send the ball into that guy's ankle. Just like that's that's precision from space. You know what I mean? <laughs> Conspiracy theory all the way. <laughs> Conspiracy theory all the way. You know, Pfizer. You know, Kelsey, uh, you know, Taylor Swift, like they all got to get their shine. So like they they literally beamed that ball from space. It wasn't even the same ball. The aliens extracted the first one that got punted, sent the new ball down on my man's ankle. Uh, and Ray Ray, you know, dropped the punt. Um, and Joe Biden put some laser eyes up that literally all Bitcoiners think everything is about them. Not about Bitcoin at all. Like everyone got hyped like, oh, this is the Super Bowl ad that we, we never had, you know. Um, you know, my man, Jack Dorsey, you know, he, he rocking the same T-shirt that he's been wearing for the last three years. Um, you know, Bitcoiners like to think everything's about them. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I feel you. Uh, conspiracy theory or not, that's a tough, that's a tough one, tough pill to swallow. So, yeah, that was tough. But, you know, it's OK because the alignment wasn't there. Right. It was supposed to be 49K Bitcoin with the 49ers playing. It never hit 49. It came a day late. So I'm I'm hanging in there. You know, Bitcoin is my my pacifier in these uh, troubling times. All right. Well, um, I, I mean, on to the, you know. Different different set of news, but kind of related news. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we've got we've got a bull market. We've got a bull market coming in. Like it's um, it's pretty magnificent to see kind of the volumes, the interest, you know, the relentless buying pressure from the ETS. I think net inflows on on Friday uh, were you know five hundred forty two million GBTC decrease on its outflows down to fifty two. You know, we shot up over forty eight k on Friday. Now we're over forty uh, forty nine. Um, and you have the backdrop of that <laughs> alongside of Janet Yellen, um, which, you know, Jacob, if you guys could play the clip, this will get us kind of into our, our Bitcoin segment for today. But, you know, just completely oblivious, you know, uh, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana um, was asking her questions about inflation. Here's, here's kind of what she had to say. Jacob, if you could play the clip in the overall price level. That doesn't tend to happen in economies, except in very negative circumstances. He's talking about a recession. It'll well, take a recession to get these prices down. Well, we don't have to get the prices down because we wages, wages are going up. And um, a, a metric that is worth knowing is that the median American house 
worker but, but let me um, stop you because I'm going to get cut off. You don't think we need to get these prices down? You think it's okay that bacon's up 20% under President Biden? Chicken's up 23.5%. Coffee's up 30%. Gas is up 44%. New cars and trucks are up 20% because people can't afford it. That's used cars because people can't afford a new car. It, they're up 24% on the Bidenomics. You don't think we need to get these prices? We, wages are also up, and wages are up They're more. not up 24%. They're not well, up 27%. Well, they're not up 23%. They're not well, what, up 31%. I'm, I'm sorry, but what is... People are really getting what, good at barely getting by because of Bidenomics. Look, American households have many pressures on their budgets, and um, President Biden is devoted to doing what we can as an administration, whether it's health care costs, um, insulin co-pays, um, energy costs, to getting these prices down and to helping American households um, afford a decent um, middle-class life. But um, what is true right, is that the median work... That's good, Jacob. I don't know how he's... I, first of all, uh, we need to get an AI... Um, to replicate Senator Kennedy's voice. Um, and, and honestly, you know, praise God for this man. The metrics that he used, uh, he had bacon first, chicken second, uh, coffee third. This dude just listed off like my morning routine. Um, and then he had the car prices. Uh, he said trucks, you know, like I, I'm I'm really appreciative of this guy's basket. His CPI basket is is more preferable to me. Uh, than the United States government. But uh, it, under Bidenomics, how are we going to get health care costs down and insulin copays down when Joe Biden is out promoting ice cream, Oreos, and chip bags at the Super Bowl? That don't even make sense to me. Mickey? Just wanted to start out with saying congratulations to Taylor Swift for winning the World Series or whatever last night. Um but he, how long has that Colonel Sanders sounding guy been in been in the Senate? I just I love when these politicians like grandstand like they're not, you know, their policies for the past 20 years haven't been, you know, the root cause of all of these issues. But he, he makes some good points. But at the same time, he's like, when do these prices come down? And it's like you either really don't understand inflation or you don't understand the system you've been perpetuating for the past, like however long you've been in, you know, Congress or whatever, because, you know, if prices go down, that's deflation and then your debt bubble economy implodes. So like, I, I kind of understand what you're trying to say, but maybe you're just not smart enough to like articulate it properly. I'm not sure. Tomer. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what's, what we're seeing, if you especially contrast Yellen's comments um, and, and those that have come from secretaries of treasury or chairmen's, chairpersons of the Federal Reserve, which he's also been, which call for inflation as a policy, maybe not as much as we've seen, but they want to see the purchasing power of the dollar come down. They, they believe, their theory is that it should be the case, just slowly, right? Um, and, they, and they're unable to justify. Powell has taken the stand, been asked the exact question, and provided babbling as as his response. So this has always been the policy. Shrinkflation is just another form of inflation, and it is the policy of 
of the Federal Reserve to to have positive inflation, which means your dollar will buy less. You know, someone quite rightly pointed out the purchasing power dollar of the dollar shrinks. So if you want prices to stay the same, you're going to get less, and that's shrinkflation. These are the exact two sides of the same coin, if you will. Flipping the coin over, you know, the older you are, the more you start to realize how insidious inflation is because it's been so slow. Right? Like now that it's punching us in the face, it's like everyone's talking about it. But when you, when it happens at that 2% per year and you're saving money starting in your late 20s or early 30s, and then you get to be in your mid 50s and you realize that the things that, you know, th- that your annual cost of living has doubled over the course of your life and what you thought would last you 20 years is only going to last you 10 years. That's the really awful, that's the most awful realization about inflation because it's too late to do anything about it now that you're in your mid 50s and you've only got 10 years worth of money saved up not 20 or, or 25 uh, because the inflation has destroyed you and so you reflect back and say oh, i remember when a movie was two dollars and fifty cents to go to the cinema and i remember when popcorn was you know also two dollars and fifty cents not ten dollars i remember when i had when a meal at mcdonald's cost three dollars and you know you, you just you, you sound this way what I think is interesting for Bitcoiners is, although we haven't really been using Bitcoin as a unit of account, you can certainly say, oh, I remember when a Big Mac used to cost a million Satoshis. Right? And, and you look back and you say, wow, it, it only costs like 50,000 Satoshis now. So you're over a longer, over a shorter period of time, but not within days or weeks, we're starting to see the exact opposite thing. So you can imagine, you know, for those of us who make, who don't make the shift to the Bitcoin standard, you're going to be an old person looking back and saying, oh my God, I remember when things used to be so much cheaper. But if you switch to the Bitcoin standard, you can say, oh my God, I remember when things were so expensive. Well, it used to cost like a whole Bitcoin to get a new car. Well, now it's a 10th of a Bitcoin. And I remember when you used to have, to have, 300 bitcoin to buy a house and now it's like one so it'll be the meme will switch directions completely and i think that's that's going to be an interesting cultural phenomenon uh the disinflationary reminiscences maybe it's not a coincidence that uh president biden put on the laser eyes because he knew he was going to piss off all these bitcoiners talking about shrinkflation and you know it's like who do you first think of when when inflation is revealed i don't know i mean i'm kind of joking but it is interesting what did the laser eyes on biden mean and like biden posted biden's account right i doubt he knows how to post on twitter biden's account posted a picture of him with laser eyes and everyone seems befuddled and confused as to what the heck it means well that's what i was going to ask i mean i only know it in the bitcoin world but i'm sure it has some other older meaning oh that's what i was getting at there's this whole um there's this whole movement we don't we don't please let's just not go down this rabbit hole today um but over the last three months um travis kelsey if you guys have been paying attention dude has been on like every commercial that there is uh one of the you know commercials that he got on he got pfizer became a he became a sponsor for, for Pfizer and promoting, you know, the vaccines. And then he started dating Taylor Swift and then viewership went through the roof. And it's like, are they actually dating? How did they ever even meet? 
then you've got all these matchups of like, you know, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. So all of these conspiracy theorists have been talking about this has been a, you know, a CIA psyop um, since like week nine of the regular season that uh, Taylor Swift and the Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl. And so if you just type in like Dark Brandon online, like there's just this whole movement and group of people. And so that's what he was getting at, like just like we drew it up. Um, Dante, Dante, we don't need the 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 Putin answer. We just want to know about the laser eyes. All right, yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. So there you go. Um, sorry, I appreciate the Tucker Carlson uh, keeping me on track um, in in that whole interview right there, coming coming at me real quick. But like that's the whole movement. Bitcoin is really trying. You know, every time I always think of that. Uh, what's the what's the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme? Like we all sitting back on the couch and every time we see something, we lean up <laughs> and we think it's a Bitcoin ad. It wasn't. It was a whole different movement. Uh, but I do appreciate the fervor. And it was ultimately an ad for Bitcoin, even though it really was. So that's what it was. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, so with the whole, uh, I mean, you have these two worlds, you have these two uh you have these two economies meshing, right? You have a disinflationary uh, technology force, technological force, where, you know, I think I listened to one of Natalie's interviews uh, this past weekend uh, with a guy named, I think his name's Kim or, or Cam. Um, he's like a he's like a volatility trader, uh, pretty big following um, online. But everyone, you know, and you've seen, you know, Neil Kashkari come up recent, recently and everyone, you know, in the political sphere right now is trying to discredit Bitcoin by saying it's not useful because you can't buy coffee with it. Like, um, and one, that's a very US centric view. Uh, you know, there are people all over the world that are buying coffee with Bitcoin um, regularly. Um, but in that context, they're trying to paint a picture to say that Bitcoin is not useful because you can't use it as a currency. Like, let's just get into this conversation uh, with this rising debt bubble, right? We've got, I think, uh, interest payments on the debt are over a trillion dollars now. It's like a fictional number. Pomp talked about this on CNBC. Um, excellent interview he had uh, with Joe um, and Ross uh, this morning. But we're talking about these two different things here where we're talking about world reserve currency versus world reserve asset. Dom, I don't know if you're about to flip the script at all, but what do you have to say? No, I just want to, you know, referring to what you're talking about, Dante, is I'd have much more respect for them if they pointed out some of the, the key points as to why, you know, like we all know it's not being used necessarily tremendously in the U.S. as day-to-day -day transactions, but they, they completely, you know, missed the point on the fact uh, of two kind of factors. Number one, the phase that Bitcoin is and building familiarity as a store of value um, and building that that brand of value and people not wanting to spend it. There's that aspect. And then of course the walled off garden that is, you know, us retail and the chokehold that, that credit cards have on point of sale systems. Um, right. Because they all could integrate right now, Bitcoin payments, but that is the biggest in my very, very limited experience in trying to help, you know, businesses set up Bitcoin um, for payment that that walled off garden and the fact that their their point of sale system excludes the ability to easily integrate something like bitcoin right 
Yeah, definitely straw man. Uh, definitely a lot of opportunity to. I mean, you can put a lot of things in there that people use um, for for use as money, right? Stock portfolios, being able to borrow, you know, loans against your uh, retirement portfolios or, or solo four hundred one ks, or being able to tap into a home equity line of credit, you know, on your house. Well, you can't use that to buy a coffee. You have to use that to convert it into another currency. To, to buy coffee, but people are using that to buy goods and services and store their wealth in all the time. And predominantly over the past 40 or 50 years, those assets have been converted into another currency to use to buy more material goods in the modern economy. Um, so there's a lot of holes that you could point in that that argument there. But you know what I think you're seeing is like the people in power right now, like that running theme that we talked about in the Super Bowl commercials as like this changing of the guard, right? They're they're grasping onto narratives from the old world to try to explain why this phenomenon, Bitcoin, in the new world uh, is not going to work or it's not credible or it's not valuable. And, you know, when you press into the arguments for more than a second, they fall down pretty quickly. Um but these are the attempts that this old guard is trying to use to kind of discredit this phenomenon that is quickly stripping power away from them. You know, now this is a trillion dollar asset. This isn't your this isn't your brother's Ponzi scheme um, in his in his garage anymore with his you know mining equipment. You know, the new space heater. Uh, like this is a legitimate financial asset that you have to decide what you're going to do with it and how you're going to respond to it. And you know, Tomer, like, I, I always appreciate your your thoughts and your your comments on this. Like, you made a point earlier in the show of, you know, growing up digital, grown up digital, you know, and the different the different generations and how they experience these uh, shifts, these revolutionary shifts in technology. Like, when do you think Bitcoin is into the normal daily lexicon. Is it faster than the adoption cycles of the internet, which did take 20 full years for us to fully realize the value of it? You know, do we see this in 2030? Or is this just like a 2040 kind of thing? I don't know, like, give me some thoughts and perspectives you have. I know you can't see through a crystal ball, but I feel like you would have some good opinions about this. Yeah, I, I, I think like the internet, um, we will see different generations experience it differently like for for those of us who are living it now we're seeing it as an escape hatch from inflation uh an opportunity to better our purchasing power over the long term as a savings vehicle as an investment vehicle and although some of us are having fun trying to live spending it going to el salvador going to bitcoin conferences it's it's certainly not the everyday experience in our lives right and and this to me with the early days of the internet it was like people laughed at the idea of you'll buy things on the internet they talked about brick and mortar beating you know uh beating clicks and then there was this later on version of well maybe there's a combination of clicks and mortar because it sounded clever and of course today you know if like my kids can't even imagine having to go out to buy something it's like you know it's fun to go to a mall occasionally but whatever they want you know they just order it from the device that's in their pocket and some somehow it magically shows up a little bit later 
I think we're going to go through something very similar here where it will be perceived quite differently by by different generations because it takes time to scale. It takes time to re- build the software. It takes time to get adopted. It takes time to weave its way in. And again, for people who are older, Amazon looked like it was finished when the dot-com bubble burst. And some people can share some stock prices, but it, like its stock fell 80% after its ICO. And people laughed at the idea that they'll be able to sell anything but books. I remember the first time they sold, like Amazon started selling only books online. Uh, probably have to inform uh, a bunch of people who are listeners and, and remind a bunch of other uh, of other people. And today, nobody thinks of Amazon as the book place. It's it's everything that you can get. This and the internet is everything you can get, and everything is connected to the internet. Again, I remember when the internet was wired and you had to dial up, and it was only one device you could connect unless you built something, and it wasn't wireless. Right? It just takes time for these things to adopt. I, I do think to the narrow question that you asked about how long will it take, this is a bigger change than the internet that we're talking about. Right? The internet was replacing newspapers and te- long-distance phone calls and you know, just telecommunication stuff. This is the whole economy. Right? It's money, which is involved in every single transaction in the economy um, globally. So it's really... A profound change that we're after and we can see all the potential in the technology for those who study it closely they can see what steps still need to be taken and how they might be taken but there's an acknowledgement that it's going to take time so uh I, you know i want i wish we lived in a world today with, def- with deflation because everyone was using bitcoin as a unit of account and we didn't have fiat-based inflation and tremendous deficit spending we're not really close to that ending and, and this is why the education is so important, because you can't escape it now. Um, you have to balance your timing, of course, because there's wild volatility in the transition. But you you can escape that. You can you can move over to the new world and experience aspects of it. But you can't live in the future completely yet. And, uh, and that's just reality. Uh, it's neither here nor there. It comes with pros and cons. Uh, but it'll be so native to... Um, like to your grandkids, Dante, they won't know a world without Bitcoin. They they won't really remember a world where it wasn't an option, I think. I don't know exactly how old your kids are, but give it 20 years, give it 15 years, and and things will be dramatically different, I expect. Uh, so I, I hope, uh, Terrence, I haven't given a Putin answer over here. I realize I've been citing history a lot. Well, I mean, I can speak right in, in between those two things because I remember, you know, all of my projects up until high school, like I had to go to the physical library to get it. I remember my parents got the Britannica uh, encyclopedia wall set and we were so hyped. We were like one of the first people in the neighborhood. My parents valued education. We had this big ass Britannica wall set. I'm telling you, when we carried it in, I still have back problems from all of the the encyclopedias that we carried into the house and never read, by the way. Like, I don't know what we did with those encyclopedias. And I remember them coming out with the CD version and you put it into the computer and the damn thing never worked. Like, but I remember all of that phase and that transition. Somebody was on the phone. You had to tell them to get off so you could get on the internet and then they could call the person back. Uh, in high school, like, I didn't get a cell phone until I was 17 years old. You know, I used to... Um, I had a, you know, 1993 Ford Mustang GT, had a 351 engine. We stroked it to a 408. You know, you had 410 gears, you know, trimming transmission, 
you know, um, anyways, all of this sort of stuff. But I used to buy minutes, I'm telling you, in gas. I had a 7-Eleven by the house. Any change I saw on the ground, I would go put gas in the car and buy minutes for my cell phone. And then, you know, the iPhone comes out in 07, 08. You know, I'm leaving high school, going into college. And so I was kind of straddling these two worlds. And so I would, I think we're, my generation is poised to best benefit from those who have done the work, right? From seeing that shift in technology from the other world to the other world. But there's a new generation, right? That's not going to know the difference. Joe, uh, Carlos Sawyer, what's up, man? Hey, um, thanks for having me up. So when you're talking about like the development of, of Bitcoin versus in the adoption versus like other networks, you really have to, I think, distinguish between you mean establishing it as a network for people to port their value because that that has a whole adoption, I believe is separate and apart from the medium of exchange adoption phase. They really will come in sequence, right? You'd have to first develop the store of value before you can do the medium of exchange. And the reason why that is an important distinction is because all the examples of like the internet and other technological adoptions. They're really driven by really anybody can get a computer. Anybody can go to you know the library and have access to the internet. Um, whereas right now, what we know about global wealth is that there's vast, vast swaths of the entire population that have no wealth. They're basically just impoverished and they have debt and they they live off of off of the debt. Um, right now, you know, just basic statistics. If you look at the top one percent, they control nearly half of the world's wealth. Right. So the the, the, the trend, the reason why that's significant is that, you know, the transition from the adoption phase of Bitcoin, if you're talking about adoption in terms of those porting their value to Bitcoin, that can happen a lot faster than those actually adopting it from the medium exchange standpoint. And I think it was Tomer or somebody that mentioned how, you know, we're not even close to being there from the medium exchange for, for building it out for capacity purposes. So really, I, I personally believe you get, you get two adoption phases. You get you know, the first one where it becomes, you know, orders of magnitude higher in terms of the store value concept. And then you get people that will, will generally transition to it. But by the time they, they transition to it, Bitcoin is going to be, you know, so, I mean, Bitcoins are going to be exorbitantly expensive, um, you know, relative to what they are today. Um, but so, so from my standpoint, like, I think that's really like core because you can't really use other technological revolutions like the internet because you didn't need to have substantial amounts of wealth. I mean, in the early days, yes, computers were very expensive, but you know, by, by the mid-90s, they were, they were relatively within reach for a lot of the uh, you know, U.S. population. And then by the 2000s, with the advent of smartphones, that's how you got in the hands of you know, the next few billion people, the internet, they really first experienced it through the advent of, of smartphones. Anyway, just my thoughts. No, that is a really, really good and important distinction. Um, you know, and I think the first the first phase of Bitcoin is becoming a world world reserve asset, uh, globally accessible, globally available. Um, you know, major countries. Um, you know, not just sort of the uh, the smaller countries. I think you know, as this debt crisis continues to to balloon, um, there's going to be a first first mover. Um, you know, first domino to fall as a major country uh, cannot. Uh, pay their debts or repay their debts, so they reprice their debt. And what are they going to reprice that debt in? Um, there could be a debt jubilee, uh, which happens, uh, but then you need to have some sort of structural reset um, and a baseline for what you measure things. So I think you know Bitcoin is going to take that first step um, as a global store of value, and then uh, become a global 
medium of exchange that can be used anywhere um, in any currency. But we've got 50K incoming. Um, you know, it, it's going to be, I just don't know what to expect as we're talking about this conversation of Bitcoin and looking at its adoption curve relative to the, to the internet, um, looking at previous halvings and how Bitcoin in the price uh, in the supply and the demand has, you know, interacted and interplayed with each other. Like this having that we're going to see, you know, in about, you know, less than 10,000 blocks um, somewhere in early to mid April um, is going to be fundamentally different. And I think a couple important ways. Um, I know we've had different people like Tara to Mr you know, talking about 100K at the halving. I think we had another tweet out there. Somebody was tweeting out about 280K from the halving. I think those are, you know, those are really bullish numbers, uh, in my opinion. But I think there's a lot of different supply dynamic dynamics. I think, you know, you've got a lot more money. You've got a mo lot more inflows. You've got more relentless buying pressure. You've got 80% of the coins uh, not moving in the last six months, over 70% in the past year. You have some of these demand dynamics that we didn't have in the last having. I don't know what you guys think about what we're going to see. You know, we've got 50K incoming, like, like almost like as we're talking. Uh, what what are we seeing here? What, what are we feeling? What are we sensing? I sense a disturbance in the force. I, like, it's, it's hard to speak with certainty because there's so many unpredictable things. And, and there's... On the ride, up. So I'm going to go down. Okay, on the ride up, um, there's definitely bumps along the way, right? There's still a lot of um, contagion overhang from things that happened during the bear market that led to a lot of assets ending up in bankruptcy court and, and receiverships that that need to sort their way out. And a, a rise in price does tend to fix a lot of a lot of these things because the, the contagion was caused by people betting on a high price and it not being there. But I think what we got to experience, if you zoom, if you zoom out, it's a slow, steady ride up. Um, if you're looking at it by the minute or even by the year, there's going to be chunks where there's a lot of, you know, where it's a very roller coaster like feeling. Uh, that's, I mean, that's my sense of it, and it's been my sense of it since I first heard about Bitcoin, and it's and it's been my experience over the last eleven years in bitcoin you you got to be you know you shouldn't put yourself in a situation where wild swings one way or, or another are going to kick you off the ride because the ride is generally headed up and in, 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 up into the right it's, it's of course headed to the right because time only flows in one direction but it's generally heading up and my sense is now it's easier to see because we've had one of those disruptive events that that lets you experience a smooth, steady ride up, and that is Wall Street has come to Bit Wall Street has met Bitcoin. Bitcoin's met Wall Street. The two are in a tango right now, and and I I think we're going to see a a lot of really interesting stuff happen over the next couple of years. Not all of it seemingly good, right? It, it's good for the price. Um, it's good for awareness, uh, but there will be all kinds of games that lead to more volatility later on because Wall Street, as you know, like loves to bring leverage into things and loves to bring derivatives into things. So all that's going to happen, but we're in the early days right now and, and they may mirror, they may reflect what the long term actually looks like more than 
um, more than what will start to happen when Wall Street begins doing their innovation on Bitcoin. They're a vanilla product right now, which is which is good for seeing the effect. Okay, that's my sense. Something yeah, that I noticed, Dante, was the lack of enthusiasm in your voice. Is uh, 50K just kind of a, making you feel a little numb or... You know, because it's interesting, like, uh, if, if it was to hit an all-time new high in, like, two weeks, would the euphoria be madness or would it be kind of, like, this feeling of, I expected it to do that, so wake me up when it's 100K? Like, um, that's kind of what I'm starting to, to notice is that it's just kind of like another, uh, just another day in Bitcoin if it's hitting 50K and it's not like that, oh, my God, it's 50K. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think for people who, who've been in and around this industry and in the game for a while, just kind of like, you know, TikTok, nice block, you know, continuing to, you know, denominate more and more of their wealth in, into Bitcoin and use that as the measuring stick. Like I obviously I think there's going to be some massive euphoria. Like um, I, I think, you know, we're going to not just hit the all time high, but we're going to we're going to surpass the all time high. Like I, I don't think something around 100K is going to be. Um, unexpected. Uh, the other things that you will start to see, I think with Tomer's comments that I think add a little bit more nuance right now, the ETFs are just sort of a, the exchange traded products, right? That they're calling them versus just ETFs so they can develop other products around them. I don't know if you've noticed Fidelity or other people, you know, la labeling these things that I, they're doing that very intentionally. But when you have Bitcoin, let's just say Fidelity with their all-in-one fund, and it's one to three percent allocation of the fund, and then when Bitcoin becomes five percent and ten percent of the fund, like you're going to start to see outflows uh, and more selling, just because that's what pension funds have to do to maintain, you know, their their certain you know investment criteria. Um, that's what our RIAs are going to have to do, so that you know their clients' portfolios are rebalanced on a quarterly basis or an annual basis based upon prospectus. So you're going to start to see a lot of other impacts on the price. And so like in the short term, it's going to be really exciting. No one that's investing in their retirement portfolio is normally seeing an ETF go up by 30% or 40% or 50%. So that's going to be a dramatic, I think, new experience for retail investors and people who are just getting into this through ETFs and other things. But for Bitcoiners, I think it's just sort of stay the course. What's up, Joe? So what I think is interesting here with Bitcoin running and getting, you know, potentially close to a new all-time high is the backdrop that it finds itself in from a macro perspective. Because in the TradFi markets, if the, for those that follow them, you know, there, there, there's, there's already a melt-up sort of underway um, with risk assets across the board. I mean, uh, the S&P 500 obviously is every day setting a new all-time high. Same thing with the NASDAQ. NVIDIA, it's just mind-blowing how big that, that stock is becoming. I mean, NVIDIA itself, for those that are unaware, is now worth more than the entire Chinese stock market. Um, and I think there was something, about, there was a stat about NVIDIA um, obviously has more market cap than the entire uh, U.S. energy sector, despite the fact that um, the free cash flow of the energy sector is something like four or five times what NVIDIA's free cash flow is. So you've got like weird dynamics in TradFi as well, uh, sort of, you know, becoming, I think, in many respects, untethered from the fundamentals on the ground in, in, in the U.S. economy. Um, and you have that this growth picture we have where we're seeing, you know, extremely high nominal growth historically for the, for the U.S. I think Atlanta Fed real GDP, GDP now is like about 4% for Q1. 
So I guess like the, 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 tying it back to Bitcoin, like what does that mean? Like what, what does it mean when you've got these massive structural deficits in place fueling like really strong nominal and, and real GDP growth, declining inflation or disinflation, um, so obviously prices remaining really high, that goes without saying. And, I, and you know, in Bitcoin, in that climate, like does, is Bitcoin it's really just going to continue to just get this lumped in with the, the risk asset across the board rally, which you're, like I said, you're seeing in TradFi, or does it begin to separate and disintermediate, which I think is the far more interesting you know, uh, outcome. And I, I, for one, hope that, that we get that this year, this sort of, you know, we already were showing some signs of, of the quote unquote, you know, decoupling or discorrelation with the risk assets. Um, does that continue? Does that exacerbate? I mean, th that's the most interesting thing about this rally here. And I think you could make uh, a real case because of the supply dynamics that it would. Certainly a different uh, macro backdrop, you know, like you mentioned, I think it's what, 33% of the S&P 500 uh, drives uh, like the majority of the value, which is the highest number since I think 1980. Very top heavy economy, uh, risk on assets. Uh, but there's a lot of things like we've been here before. We've seen this. Uh, don't want to put you on the spot, but, you know, one of uh, the OG Bitcoiners, someone that, you know, I learned a lot from earlier on in my journey. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy's here. Jimmy, like someone who's seen these hype cycles or have been through a few different halvings, have kind of continued to preach uh, prudence, uh, stay the course, uh, live below your means, kind of TikTok, next block. We've seen this before. Do the right things consistently. I mean, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing coming up on this on this having here? Well, uh, well, thanks for having me up here. I like connected, and I'm automatically a speaker. I didn't, I didn't expect that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, kind. Of, it feels a little different right now, right? Because it's like we're we're getting towards fifty. I think we break it today, maybe in like the next few minutes, even. Uh, but uh, but the main main thing is that the narrative, I think, is has shifted significantly. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people realize that all coins are a scam. Um, and I think that that's been like a major force sort of like into this thing because we, we have the BT, BTC ETF uh, arrival, but there's a lot of other uh, coins that want the same ETF, uh, but I don't think they're gonna get it because you know, it's those are essentially securities. There's they're they're all centralized. That that separation between Bitcoin and altcoin, I think, is is like the like the driver here. Although, like I, I don't know, I, I haven't looked at Coin Market Cap today, but uh, you know, I, I suspect like uh, usual, like they they go up along with Bitcoin and so on. Um, but you know, it, it's and they usually like catch up a couple of days later or something like that as. People are like Bitcoin is too expensive or something, uh, but but that that separation I think is starting to happen and uh, and you could kind of see it with like the VCs. Uh, a lot of them were pumping a lot of different altcoins, but you know the the last two VC pumped coins did not fare well at all, and those are Worldcoin and Bitcloud. Those were heavily heavily VC funded and and pumped, but they they didn't do anything and. Uh, and I think a lot of VCs are realizing, okay, they, this ain't it, and uh, we can't run the same stuff from four years ago. Uh, and you know, most of them have kind of pivoted away to AI anyway. And that that seems to be the case. Bitcoin is showing itself for what it's supposed to be, which is 
you know, I, I, at least in this economy, it's store of value. That's like more important than anything with uh, incre- uh, insane inflation numbers and everything else. So that that seems to be the narrative going into this having, and uh, especially with all of the ETFs, the buying and stuff like that, um, that that bodes pretty well for the price. That said, there is this possibility of some more financial games getting played. Uh, you know, I think gold suffered from it after a period of uh, significant buying of gold with the ETF. There's essentially been kind of a lot of stagnation because you can create paper gold. So long term, I'm a little bit less bullish than I would be uh, if the ETF didn't exist. But short term, I think it's it's really good for Bitcoin. And, um, and you know, th- this this year is kind of looking pretty crazy. It's it, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it's a uh, it's hilarious that it uh, 2022. Speaking of. Uh altcoins right uh tom brady was doing a an ftx commercial uh, but this year he was doing an mgm commercial uh so uh he just was uh, more honest about uh the nature of the casino that he was promoting um and, and you know like there's a lot of talk about you know an eth um etf approval later this year i mean the the reality about all of these tokens like you know unless they're going to change the rules again which they can do you know the howie test and how they define a security the MGM token um, is different than the FTX token, right? The FTT token. It's that MGM, you know, the the, the new casino that Tom Brady is promoting, is uh, they have to do uh, shareholder disclosures. They have to do 10Ks and 10Qs, and they have to say what the nature of their business is and how many shares outstanding do they have. Um, you know, how do they dilute shareholders? You know, what are the equity pricing? What are the offerings, right? Who owns what? How do they own what? What structure do they have? And so, you know, if you're going to make MGM, who can monetize their token via a public listing or stock exchange, go through these sorts of steps and rigmarole, then you have to do the same thing for ETH uh, or any of these other centralized tokens. So I think that's a major difference, which I do agree with you. I don't believe that they're going to get the same status as the Bitcoin ETF. Um, Yeah, but I do think you're, you're right. The macro backdrop of Wall Street getting in the game means that there's going to be other uh, products, um, algorithms, um, you know, the the Jim Simons of the world, right? These market makers and these people who built all of these sophisticated tools to, you know, essentially make spread and find arbitrage in the rest of the market. Like those products are coming to Bitcoin, which I think creates more volatility and higher swings and higher drops because you don't have true market forces playing out. Like you get just a flavor of fiat entering into, you know, what was the truest, you know, supply, demand, um, and capitalistic market that we had out there was Bitcoin. Although Bitcoin still holds and maintains all of these same properties, if you hold real Bitcoin, you just have the paper element on it that I think induces to what Tomer was talking about earlier. People have to become more educated, right? And if you don't, you don't use this time to actually learn what Bitcoin is, then you're going to be subject to that volatility um, emotionally, economically, financially of Wall Street being able to manipulate the pricing of it. So um, let's uh, let's get some uh, yeah. other voices and other thoughts in here. Just Dante, just real quick, just so people aren't catch, caught off guard on this, there, there will absolutely be an ETH, Ethereum ETF. 
it, it's almost a fait accompli at this point. It's like there's not going to be a question. The CME futures surveillance sharing agreement, which applies to the Bitcoin, which was the reason why they ultimately greenlighted the ETF for Bitcoin, applies to the Ethereum futures. They're, they're subject to the same surveillance sharing agreement. So in, under the SEC, right or wrong, they're, they're now precedent that they've set with the approval of the Bitcoin spot. That is sufficient disclosures under 6B5 for approval. So I agree with like the other tokens, right? A lot of other tokens that don't stand a chance because they don't have Ethereum futures, or excuse me, CME futures. But if, once they got the CME futures as the basis and that was sufficient to detect fraud, um, there's really not a basis for them to decline the futures ETF. That's why BlackRock filed for the Ethereum uh, spot ETF as well. Well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> definitely sucks. Uh, definitely puts a little damper on things. Well, guys, we're at like 49.997. I know it's premature to celebrate, but uh, Bitcoin's price is uh, really right there at the as we near the end of the show. I'm happy. Hey, to I, I, for predict, a few I predict 50K. I'm going to call it and just go out on a limb. Oh, you might have jinxed it right there, my friend. Well, there, there's probably a large sell wall right at fifty, just because it's a round number. But uh, yeah, but yeah, there, there is, there, there is. Uh, but you know, a lot of times these sell walls turn out to be uh, ghost sell walls that get programmatically pulled back. Everybody's refreshing this browser right now. <laughs> Everybody, refresh, 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 refresh. Yeah, oh, price, price miles. doesn't matter. No, NGU does not matter. <laughs> NGU does not matter. Uh, that's great. I mean, so we came for 50K. Uh, we came for number go up, but we uh, we always stay for freedom go up. Jim, Jim, really quick before we get into just some final thoughts on educating people about Bitcoin uh, and, and why we're actually here. Well, even though I was kind of positive about an ETF in a general sense, it wasn't necessarily a big deal to me. Bitcoin's Bitcoin. It's always going to be great. And, and useful as it is. But what is interesting to me, and I'm curious to see as we're going toward 50K, is, you know, you've got a new kind of investor in Bitcoin through ETFs, people that aren't going to do it directly through the system. They're just going to get into the funds. And I'm curious to watch as we have economic issues that are still are around for us, how much that influences Bitcoin being coming a hedge for a different type of, of investors into it. I mean, obviously all of us believe in the product and we're involved and, and for what it is, but you know, that, that new group of investors just is intriguing to me. I'm curious to see how that plays out on that basis. Yeah. I mean, uh, just, this is from, this is from my perspective. I mean, a lot of these, I, I think the new investor, quote unquote, um, 85% of all, uh, flows into ETF products are institutions. So these are hedge funds, these are pension funds, these are you know school corporations, uh, these are RAAs that have major investment funds um, that or portfolios that they manage. And so, although there are new quote unquote investors, those investors are investing their fiat um, to a middle manager or another person behind it. And so. I don't think that we're going to see. I don't think that we're going to see uh, traditional retail behavior um, that you might see in individually listed stocks in 
an ETF product. So that's kind of my like two cents on that. Um, is that you're, you're? I don't think we're going to see the same behavior because you're, you're not you're, you're not having the same buyer and seller, right? These people have different mandates. Uh, they have different you know instructions, and they're allocating capital sure into the BT uh, the BTC asset class through an ETF or an exchange traded product, but they're not gonna. Um, I don't think buy and sell the same way that an individual would. Maybe maybe yeah. not in this year, but but definitely if you look down two or three years from now, as this starts to find its way into 401ks more um, as kind of that risk investment for, uh, for basic 401k plans, you know, it, it, you could see that change over the long run. That, that's what I'm curious yeah. about. Well, Jim, the other, the other point you, you bring up, which is really interesting, is that, you know, as, as Wall Street moves in and, and tends to get more involved in any asset class, they do not like volatility, right? They try, and this is kind of going to be, this is going to be interesting with Bitcoin because of its structure for a lot of reasons we don't have time to get into. But um, I think Dante referenced like an interview with Jim Croissant. And, you know, one of the things he'll tell you about, you know, volatility is that, you know, the, the, whole, the whole goal of institutional investors is to effectively tamper down volatility. They put on products to basically safeguard portfolios from volatility tail risks so, you know, when they incorporate Bitcoin increasingly, they'll do the same, right? They will try to put you know, the VIX equivalent of, of on Bitcoin to tamper its volatility, to hedge with option strategies and other paper derivatives. And, and the whole point of that is to try to prevent the sort of 70, 80 percent drawdowns, which you saw in TradFi before the advent of, you know, complex derivatives, right? You, you tended to see a lot more volatility in the equity market. Um, in the early parts of the 20th century, when it wasn't as liquid, when it wasn't what was well adopted, when you didn't have ETF structures where you could buy the whole market with a click of a button, and all these products, you know, thrown against the uh, you know immutable characteristics of Bitcoin, it's going to be fun to watch and and see how it reacts. And by the way, liquidity is an issue um, with um, the the way that we move money in this day and age. And again, it's, it's kind of odd to talk about that as it relates to a Bitcoin ETF, because Bitcoin is, although, uh, is part of that change that's happened since the early part of the 20th century. It still is something, uh, much better and, and, uh, more capable, but anyway, yeah, that, that the liquidity, uh, markets act the way they act. Uh, liquidity helps, things get back in line more quickly, even if they get a bit off track. And by the way, markets always do that. So yeah. And, and we're going to get options on the, the Bitcoin ETFs in the next few weeks here too. They, they, those will come because um, they don't really have a basis to deny them. So the options are going to be you know wild on all these, these new nine ETFs. Which by the way, feeds uh, stability, FYI. That's, that's what options do to a market is, is they help the stability of it. They compress volatility. So, so what is what is that going to mean for Bitcoin? That's going to be fascinating. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't. I don't believe that. Long term. Yeah, yeah. To Jimmy's point, long term. You know, from the true Bitcoiner seat, does this suppress the upward volatility in in the way that you might have had with you know the true market dynamics of, of Bitcoin, the asset itself? In the short term, right? It's certainly you know as a tailwind. Uh, in the long term, is it a headwind, Jimmy? Well, I, I, I don't believe that options and things like that like suppress volatility. I, I actually think it's the opposite because you can you can leverage that with w way less money. And 
I mean, you, you could already kind of do that on BitMEX and get 100x leverage and stuff like that. But I mean, options like out of money options, you could go even crazier. So I, I don't know. I, it, it feels like um, the demand side is what's going to drive it. But the, like, the ability to play more of these games and uh, you know, use leverage in ways that cause more volatility seems just as likely as it damping it down. I, I, I mean, obviously the the institutions are going to be the ones on the, you know, trying trying to hedge their bets so that the volatility is dampened uh, by, I, I guess, uh, um, you know, get, getting on the side of the trade that that's going to. Uh, dampen it, but there are going to be people on the other side of the trade that, you know, I mean, like, thing is, I, I don't think this is a Wall Street controlled asset. There are exchanges all over the world, and there's a lot of liquidity on those too. And yeah, at at some point, and like, you know, it, the way a lot of the other assets on Wall Street work is that all of the liquidity is in one place. That that's not the case with Bitcoin. So it, it feels like it'll actually increase volatility to me but well, maybe it depends. it depends because the cme you know for a few weeks back there i think binance overtook them again but the cme had the dominant futures market for about a month and a half which they had the majority of the volume which was interesting that was i think it's the first time in bitcoin history we actually saw the cme have the biggest but to your point about options right like it, there's always two sides to the trade so if you're selling the options and you're a market maker the only way you can hedge properly with options if you're selling far out of the money calls and so forth is you have to buy spot Bitcoin and you have to be involved in the spot market either through the ETFs or through some other capacity. So, you know, what the spot, what they do when they sell far out of the money options is to prevent themselves from blowing up and having to pay out on those bets. They are hedged with spot, which they can use to tamper down the volatility and, and they will come into the spot market. You have to, otherwise you blow up. You have to be on the spot trade if you're selling derivatives. It's true in every market. Well, volatility does get uh, uh, dampened with options because you have puts and calls. I mean, you're playing both sides uh, of the uh, of the trade. But that being said, demand in Bitcoin, <clears throat> I don't believe, even though there's some looming concern about it in certain people's minds, I don't believe demand is going to be driven by ETFs. Like that's an investment product. What we do know is beginning to happen, and I'm confident is going to be greater and greater over time is Bitcoin use case, whether it's lightning network or whatever, whatever, you know, we, we figure out along those lines. Um, it is going to be used uh, in, in a, in a currency fashion as a, a means of trade, uh, a way to clear trade in, in any market. And so that's the demand that's going to drive Bitcoin continually up. Uh, I, the ETF thing may, in the long run, possibly, as Joe posits, maybe help volatility one way or the other. But I think the the overall demand keeps growing and increasing. It's all about wherever the liquidity is. If the majority of liquidity is in the spot market from just real demand, then yeah, that will be the dominant force in the market. But if the majority of the markets in futures, like the gold market, for example, the majority of the buying and selling of gold is is not with spot gold; it's with the futures market. So if the future market grows faster than the spot market, the future market's going to dominate. And this is why the gold bugs all complain, because spot really doesn't control the price. It's the futures market. Yeah, so one, I mean, two interesting points here that I want to point out. Um, I had a conversation with uh, a custodian of, you know, a lot of Wall Street products, um, 
you know, as well as, you know, people that work closely with these sort of authorized participants and other and other folks. Um, one of the most interesting things that you're, you're talking about in terms of liquidity, I remember a lot of the Bitcoin community being like, oh, like all of the, you know, Bitcoin, you know, for these for these ETFs is centralized on Coinbase. The reason that Coinbase was selected, I mean, for a number of reasons, is that they have they have built the capability and the functionality to uh, provide, you know, really smooth operations in terms of liquidity for on-ramps and off-ramps from different currencies and Bitcoins from around the world. So they have this diverse, you know, pool of suppliers and people that they can buy and exchange Bitcoin with, which is why they were selected primarily from, from a lot of these uh, authorized participants or ETF issuers. Um, and it's very different. Like these ETF issuers, right, these authorized participants that have to pony up the cash in order to buy the Bitcoin represented in the underlying uh, Bitcoin ETFs, like although that they have experience with global indexes and global products, right, that trade, that trade commodities or things from different countries or places, even those products, like they don't have the liquidity profiles and challenges that they might have with Bitcoin, which we all know is a 24-7, 365, globally available and globally uh, tradable asset, which is very different than even if these ETF issuers have, you know, global products that they represent, you know, there's always a time gap or a time lag or a time window between the Hong Kong stock exchange or other stock exchanges that they program into their operations, which is very different from Bitcoin, which is why Coinbase was chosen as the underlying custodian for a lot of them. That's a liquidity issue. I think more to the positive thing that we will get to see, it's sort of like the energy markets, right? You, you look at the stories like Gridless and, you know, some of the stories that Alex Gladstein and, um, you know, Eric Hirschman and the people are covering in Africa right now. The ability to invest from a VC perspective, from a company builder perspective, from an entrepreneur perspective, you, you have a lot more um, confidence to invest in Bitcoin when you know that there is a steady supply of demand and a, an opportunity to build a profitable and reliable business model. So like I'm again, like to your point, Jim, I'm really excited about the opportunities that this provides for more Bitcoin innovation. And for companies to be able to sustainably and reliably build on Bitcoin, because the price is going to be high enough, because the fees will be high enough, because there's going to be more users, because there's going to be more liquidity. Now I can go to a VC or I can go to someone who's going to invest in my company and put in a more realistic model, whereas, you know, all of those things used to be up and down. So this is actually a really positive thing for company builders sitting in the entrepreneur seat to say, here's an asset class that I can reliably build products on. And oh, by the way, we know that we can make money, not just when the price dips a ton or when the price rises a ton, but we can make money every day because there's a steady flow of demand and dollars flowing into this asset class. I, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure like that that's going to change that much. Like I, I think Bitcoin's still going to be volatile. The monetization of uh, an asset is is a long road, and it, it's I, I don't think we're anywhere near where we were eventually going to be. Uh, like a trillion dollars is a drop in the bucket in this economy. I, I think it's probably going to be like you know ten twenty uh, ten or hundred x before we get to the stage. I think that you're you're talking about. Um, the thing uh, that 
uh, and this other like sort of narrative around like building companies in the VC way that that I see as very like fiat. I, I think what's going to happen more is that it's it's you know people that aren't like making brand new things. It's the uh, people that have been you know using th- uh, you know have their own business that are going to incorporate Bitcoin on their like balance sheet because they they don't want to get like rate by uh, inflation and things like that, that that's going to make the real difference. Um, you know, I, you, we've seen this with uh, companies like Tahini's, they're putting a lot of their uh, money, uh, you know, the profits that they have into Bitcoin. We we obviously saw that with MicroStrategy. That, that seems to be the direction that I think will go. Like a lot of individuals already use it for store value. I think the next step is companies and eventually countries. But, you know, that that's where... I see the growth and not necessarily let's go do more coffee on blockchain kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't think I was I don't think I was necessarily promoting it as coffee on blockchain, but I do think from a you know from my perspective, right? I've I've helped a lot of companies set up, you know, different products like let's say Zapright from uh, you know an invoicing or getting paid in Bitcoin when you're offering a services product, or let's say Ibex uh, when you're trying to accept Bitcoin as a you know, as a payment option uh, when you're, you know, selling, you know, uh, food at your local market or those sorts of things. I think having more people that have the asset, having more people that um, are going to use this asset or convert that store of value into a medium of exchange, I think it does allow you as a company builder to invest into people and to staff and to headcount into things in a more reliable or predictable way than before there was more users and more liquidity into the product. I don't I don't necessarily think that we're again we're we're at that stage where you're going to want to see a ton but a ton of money come in. And obviously like prudent company building, make a dollar, like make more than you spend, like the whole fiat mindset around VC and and all these other things that came out from Zerp, right? Have distorted our world in in so many ways. And no way am I advocating for those things. But I do believe that being able to um, invest reliably into products because you know that there will be more demand. Um, I do think that that will happen. So that that's my slight caveat on my pushback there. Fair enough. All right. So we didn't uh, we didn't break fifty k. As soon as Dom unmuted himself, um, uh, the price just just took a nosedive. Um, so appreciate that, Dom. I'm just kidding. Um, but with that, I think, like I always say with, with these sorts of things, it is our job right now, like at the Super Bowl, <laughs> at the Super Bowl party yesterday, um, you know, we don't need to talk about our different beliefs and different things here. I think that like, because it's a whole fiat event, yeah, you get together and you eat a bunch of sugars and snacks and other things. Look, this is what I said Jesus's first miracle was, uh, was that he's a guy over 30 that had more than, that had 12 friends. Um, like, I think, I, I think that like, that's probably the first miracle that he has, especially if you have kids, you know, how hard it is. But when I was at this thing yesterday and everybody in my local community kind of knows me, it's like the Bitcoin guy. Um, and the last Super Bowl party or the last several Super Bowl parties that we've been getting together, we've been having friends over, like, I'm just the crazy guy. Like, I'm the guy that you laugh out of the room. Like, I'm the guy that's way out on the friends or on the edges. And I now... It is in the realm of possibility that people are 
willing to have these conversations. People are willing to have the discussions about what is Bitcoin? Why does it matter? Why is it valuable? And so I think for all of those people here on Spaces who have been in this game for a long time, guys like Jimmy who've been writing books about it, guys like Tomer who've been writing consistently for years on this thing, I think we need to like really work on how do we articulate this thing in a cohesive, consistent, winsome way and really educate people on moving past paper Bitcoin to the real thing, moving past number go up to freedom go up. And like, that's that. I don't know what you guys were able to do if you all went to Super Bowl parties or whatever yesterday, but I feel like I was able to, to engage in conversation about Bitcoin in a way that I haven't been able to in years. Summer? Well, um, I wasn't going to address uh, what you said, so I, I have a, a little side story, but I, I'd, like to, I'd like to bring the conversation back to where, uh, you know, I'm in Canada and we've had ETFs here for a while and I have retirement accounts that are locked up, so I, I, I bought those um, a couple of years ago and my investment broker has always been like, you know, the head office is making me have to make, make you have to fill out forms about the risk profile of your portfolio. Are you sure you don't want to take some profit? What's your long-term goal with this strange Bitcoin stuff? And last week he called me up and he's like, Bitcoin was down to 43K. Do you want to buy some more? It was a very dramatic shift. He's a very conservative guy. Um, and so I, I think his sensing that the legitimacy of the Wall Street ETFs is really changing that conversation as well. So what I was going to say is I think the conversation is changing on many layers in it. And certainly when the idea of Bitcoin isn't a crazy idea, you can then have an, a conversation to your point of, well, maybe holding Bitcoin the way it was designed to be held is not a crazy idea. Like doing something the proper way is is not crazy. Doing something the like Bitcoin was invented. Sentence one of the white paper says talked about eliminating middlemen in the in the finance industry and bitcoin etfs are just introducing like a broker an etf manager a custodian a market maker it's introducing all these financial institution middlemen into the into the thing so it's probably not incredibly hard to uh start to have those conversations with people who now see bitcoin as a legitimate asset um, and now the question is, okay, how do I buy it? Right? It's not do I buy it, it's how do I buy it? And and that to me is, I think, the really, really interesting opportunity here. And there's a lot of work we as Bitcoiners have to do, not just in education, but in also developing solutions. I think this is a nice era where you can buy, if you have a decent chunk of money, to buy some Bitcoin and hold it in self-custody and use it as savings. But as we move forward towards um, towards a generation of people who are going to use it as a unit of account and a medium of exchange, there's, we've got a lot of work ahead of ourselves still. I, and I think it's going to happen with certainty because the incentives are all there to drive it in that direction. Well, just remember what the E in ETF stands for. Oh, you got a joke there, Terrence, or is it is it just that it stands for exchange? Well, yeah, just a reminder because we forget and we know that lots of people are going to be using the ETFs, but ultimately it's an exchange. Do you mind if I jump in since it's quiet or was someone talking? Uh, let's, uh, let's let Dom jump in real quick. Dom had his, uh, let's go. I was, I was just going to say two things before I run because I'm having these conversations a lot, right, at the workplace. And there's a handful of people that maybe had no uh, 
funds to invest in Bitcoin other than what they maybe have in like a deferred compensation type 457 or 401k account. And the main things I'm pointing out to them are, number one, consider the system in which, you know, you are now holding Bitcoin, right? It is that same system that caused pensions to take a massive hit during the financial crisis. It is that same system um, right, that paid you know a billion dollar in, in fines for manipulation of markets, etc. Look at some of those things. Don't be scared by that because they have an incentive to handle things correctly. And and um, but consider what you own outside of that system. And if you still have nothing outside of that system, this is a reason to start looking at Bitcoin. And then the second thing is just letting them know, hey, in holding an ETF, you know, those firms are tapping. What they're tapping is the best facets of Bitcoin, right, which is self-custody and the fact that it operates also as a network. We started on the program talking about use as money. And unlike previous assets that spent history building their store of value, Bitcoin was born with the ability to serve both as a store of value and as an ability to move money across a network. It didn't have to be. There's been improvements, but it unlike you know, something that had to be built from scratch, you know, from another asset that had a hundred years of value building that didn't have to happen with Bitcoin. And so what I tell people a lot is you're missing out on some of the most magical aspects of Bitcoin, which is the ability to self custody, the ability to run your own node and have your own portal to do peer to peer payments. You're basically missing the boat on all of that. And that's the magical part that these firms on Wall Street are tapping what makes it so special. And now they're selling it not just as an asset that stores value, but it only serves as that asset because of these other properties that make it so special. All right, Jim, were you uh, were you were you on that same thread right there? Yeah, I am. I, I think uh, I, I agree with that. And just to build off what Tomer was saying, uh, we, we do listen, Bitcoin was always about medium of exchange and, and, uh, store of value. Uh, and the ETFs don't feed that basic understanding of, um, of Bitcoin. And I could take, take or leave ETFs. They're here. It's part of the issue. Fine. But it is up to us who believe in what Bitcoin is about to continue to advance that uh, that idea that we are our own financial, uh, our own financer, our own bank, so to speak, our own, you know, that, that we custody what we do. I always tell people when describing uh, Bitcoin and or just blockchain in general, when I'm talking to people. I always uh, make the point that, you know, just think about the last time you started a checking account and all the paperwork you had to sign. And do you know fundamentally what that paperwork said? It said, we, the bank, own your money until you put it back in into fiat currency. And uh, that's we have to get, continue to press and push that. It's why Bitcoin has gotten to where it is. And uh, the future of Bitcoin is in utilizing it in in these exchange patterns, not in ETFs. And there are a lot of people out there who have made the ETFs the issue. They're an issue because it's a flow of money coming into the system and that matters and has certain effects. 
But the thing that makes Bitcoin useful, and, and by the way, I've always hated the idea of Bitcoin for investment. Not that you shouldn't do it, not that it isn't going somewhere, and that's an aspect of it. We do that with our regular money even. But but the point is that with fiat currencies, we do that. But the point is that, that this is not just something that can build value and 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 have that increase continue on because it's a limited supply and uh, deflationary, but also because of the fact that it can uh, allow us to do all of our financial exchange. And that's the hope and future of it. And it's exactly what we got to keep pressing and pushing toward. Uh, we talk about ETFs, like I say, because it's an issue and, and, and it matters in a sense. But what really matters is never getting our eyes off the ball of what the white paper and what uh, the, the early folks who did such a fantastic job of getting Bitcoin into the psyche uh, did so well and expanding upon that. Lightning's part of it, whatever else. But the development on it needs to happen so that it can become what we all know that it really is, which is freedom, financial freedom, uh, financial activity freedom for everyone around the world. All right. No, I appreciate that, Jim. Um, and, and, you know, with that, I think we're going to, you know, start to wrap it up, um, start to, you know, shut things down here a little bit. But we want to end on this message of education and, and freedom and how do we maximize this moment? Um, you know, Jimmy, did you have any final thoughts? And uh, Jimmy and Tomer, um, if you had any kind of last words or thoughts, and then I was going to close it down for the day. Yeah, I, I, I kind of disagree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I don't think we need to be winsome. I don't think we need to be going and evangelizing this stuff. I think we just need to let the market incentives play out. I, I think a lot of people are starting to realize like, okay, the dollar sucks as a, a, a as a way to store value. And this is why people are so uh, obsessed with investments and things like that. They'll, they'll, they're coming to Bitcoin uh, because they know something is wrong with the system. And we don't we don't need to be you know, yelling from the rooftops, hey, this this is the right asset and you need to self-custody. They'll, they'll figure all of that out. I think the market incentives are all there. Uh, and we, we don't need to be developing all these like uh, brand new fancy, you know, protocol changes and things like that. The way it is right now, it's way, 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 way better than the dollar. And that's, I, I think that's all we really have to do uh, is, we're better than the other stores of value that are out there. You have housing, stocks, the dollar, maybe gold, something like that. And Bitcoin is better by far than all of those. Now, we here in this chat know it. The rest of the world hasn't figured that out yet. And they're, they're seeing it more as like, All right, I need to put like 1% in and maybe, uh, maybe keep just a little bit of my portfolio in there and keep myself diversified and all that. I mean... A lot of us did that 10 years ago, and that 1% has become like 98% of our portfolio because, you know, Bitcoin grows like that. It's, it's, it's way better than all of these other things. So, you know, we, we don't need to rush these things. We don't need to be, you know, saying, telling everybody. And then, you know, uh, when the inevitable crash comes, they, they come and kind of yell at you or whatever. Just kind of leave things alone. I I I really think it'll uh, the market incentives are enough for a lot of people to to sort of get in. And 
you know, we will have FOMO at some point. We will have like probably some sort of shitcoin season, whatever. But, you know, that's part of the cycle. That's part of, you know, what, what's been going on for a long time. Um, and, you know, we just we just need to stay steady. And, you know, uh, you know, th this is what holding is all about, I guess. I certainly didn't, don't mean to suggest that there's stuff that we have, have to do before someone should buy into Bitcoin. Uh, it is, I mean, it is clearly, as Jimmy said, uh, superior on on essentially every dimension against fiat, with the exception of its it, its acceptance, uh, and, and you know, and people ready to use it as a medium of exchange. But the reality is that's why it's such an attractive thing to buy. So it's not a it's not a paradox. It's it's just very logical, and uh, and and we're starting to see more and more people recognize its dominance and superiority through through their day-to-day -day lives right I, you don't actually need to be a bitcoin advocate uh listening to a lot of bitcoin advocates to see how bad the inflation is how corrupt the fiat monetary system is you just need to then discover bitcoin to realize that it's a solution to it and with that you're you've got enough information. You, you don't need to get too deep into it. I, I think for many of us, it's really interesting to get into the depths of it so that we can, because we're so curious about the future and we want to be a part of it, that we get there. But it's not necessary for every participant in the system to understand all the details and all the advanced functionalities. If it were, it wouldn't be a good solution. And with that, um, I, do, I do want to take this moment to just acknowledge that um, and I'm going to put a wrapper on a lot of these comments. I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that, um, I don't think those two things are uh, mutually uh, exclusive, that you could be um, inviting or engaging or helpful or giving people the surface level or highlighting the problem of, hey, how's the last 30 years of you relying on the current system going for you um, to being that, you know, you've got to, have a megaphone with you and a boom box and shout from the rooftops and like you're the weird guy at parties that people don't want to be around. Um, I don't think that those are, I don't think those two things have to be like at odds. Uh, I think there's a way that you can be helpful um, as people ask you about it. If you have been someone that people know for having Bitcoin or you work in the industry or maybe they've seen your, your, your books or your LinkedIn or you on a podcast and they ask you a question about it. I think now is a good opportunity to just invite them to not the uh, not the depths of Bitcoin, uh, but the surface level of highlighting the problems, highlighting the issues, pointing out the pain points of which, you know, they, they're currently experiencing and letting them come to their own conclusions. Right. It's not a he who waters, not a he who plants like, you know, we, we can never bring growth on our own. And so but I think we have to plant seeds and I think we have to water seeds that may already be there. So uh, with that, I think one of the most you know, useful courses that we have out there. Natalie Brunel, if you guys don't follow her, her Coin Stories podcast or watch her on Fox News or listen to, you know, other things that she does. She's one of the best communicators out there. Um, she's one of the greatest evangelists for Bitcoin. Um, and I, I really can't recommend her Welcome to Bitcoin course enough. You know, we have it hosted at swan.com slash welcome. That's a, an intro course to Bitcoin. It's 15 minutes long total. It allows you to send um, an easy introductory wrapper to Bitcoin and someone else's voice that makes the conversation really easy as a starter. And we do this here on Tuesday nights, you know, 
over time, you know, Cafe Bitcoin, you know, we have a range of topics and a range of people and speakers. And as we've, you know, gotten more and more into bear markets and more and more into other things, we've gotten really technical on this show. And so on Tuesday nights, we have this session uh, spaces uh, called Welcome to Bitcoin. And it's just getting back to the basics, people that want to learn, people that are trying to understand what this is. Um, and so we're kind of, you know, going back to the high level and to the roots of what this show was when it originally started. So if you want to do that, uh, you can join in there. But with that, you know, I think as we look are looking at the number go up aspects of Bitcoin, um, we just always need to be mindful of the freedom go up aspects of Bitcoin um, and continue to stack stats. Stay humble and stack stats. I think with the new Wall Street interests, with more funds, with more ETFs, you're going to get more sophisticated products. You're going to get derivatives. You're going to get call options. You're going to get all the things that Wall Street has done to you know, kind of control and manipulate the fiat system. Um, but again, Bitcoin, as Don mentioned, is outside of the fiat system. Like it cannot be fully controlled by the current system. And I say opt out, right? You can use your voice like some of the, you know, the Bitcoin community did in Missouri, speaking to the House of Representatives about just and fair representation and lack of discrimination for a digital assets business. Um, you know, you had those folks representing there. You can use your voice, but you can also just use your power by exiting. And so exit the system little by little every day. Um, obviously, continue to operate in the system for your daily needs, supporting your family, being a good member of your community. Um, those sorts of things will matter in the long term. Uh, but continue to know that there's a lifeboat on the other side that you need to be putting resources into. So with that, um, Jacob, I'll hand this off to you. Um, I've got to run. I've got to drop. Uh, but with that, thank you guys for, for jumping on to Cafe Bitcoin, our Monday edition. We're going to see 50K <laughs> uh, maybe today, some point this week. Uh, the conspiracy theorists were true. Uh, Taylor Swift did get her Super Bowl. Um, cry harder uh, for all the people out there. We did see the 49ers, but that was in the price, uh, not as the champions. Um, and uh, with that, uh, we'll, we'll close off for today. Thank you guys for joining